You're listening to a podcast by Lance Lambert Ministries. For more information on Lance's ministry, visit lancelambert.org. What is the importance of true fellowship and overcoming? In today's episode, Lance reads from Luke 12, 34-48. Even the greatest among us must be girded with their lamps burning, watching for the return of the Master. It's also for me a, a real joy uh, to be back with you. I, as you know, I was unable to be with you when we had planned um, in uh, June uh, for reasons beyond my control. Um, and I did not expect actually to be able uh, to make it again uh, until later, perhaps in the year, in uh, November. But the Lord has wonderfully ordered it this way so that I'm just able to be with you this morning and I return later today. I would like to read to you a portion in the uh, Bible from the New Testament in the Gospel according to Luke, chapter 12 and from verse 34. Luke's Gospel, chapter 12, from verse 34. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lamp burning, and be ye yourselves like unto men looking for their Lord, when he shall return from the marriage feast, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may straightway open unto him. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet, and shall come and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch, and if in the third, and find them so, blessed are those servants. But know this, that if the master of the house had known in what hour the thief was coming, he would have watched and not have let his house to be broken through. Be ye also ready, for in an hour that ye think not, the Son of Man cometh. And Peter said, Lord, speakest thou this parable unto us? or even unto all. And the Lord said, Who then is the faithful and wise steward, whom his Lord shall set over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you that he will set him over all that he hath. But if that servant shall say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and the maid servants, and to eat and drink and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant shall come in a day when he expecteth not, and in an hour when he knoweth not, and shall cut him asunder, and appoint his portion with the unfaithful. And that servant who knew his Lord's will, and made not ready, 
nor did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. And to whomsoever much is given of him shall much be required. And to whom they commit much of him will they ask the more. Let's just bow together in prayer. Let's all unite together in prayer. Ask the Lord to make his word real to us. Heavenly Father, we're so glad to be able to be in your presence like this once again and to worship you and serve you and minister to you. And Lord, now we come to your word and we ask, Lord, will you give something to us? Will you take your word and will you deposit it in us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit? We thank you for the anointing which is ours in the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the way that anointing can be made available in the person of the Holy Spirit to everyone. And so, Lord, we just come and we appropriate what we need of that anointing, grace and power for this morning, that your word may live to us, that the one who speaks it may be given divine ability and power, and that all of us who hear may likewise know such divine grace and power. Lord, fulfill your purpose, we pray, and let the, the word of our Lord Jesus come to dwell in us richly. May it be an implanted <coughs> word that takes root, grows up, and bears much fruit. We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. There's a little... Uh, word here in this twelfth uh, chapter of uh, Luke which has been very much with me and um, it is verse 36 I believe it is for all of us be ye also yourselves like unto men looking for their Lord be ye yourselves like unto men looking for their law. I think that we have passed irreversibly, irrevocably into the last phase of world history. And it would take far, far too long to give you all the evidence for such a statement. But I think we have passed prophetic milestones in this generation which no other generation has passed and we can therefore say together that we have passed into that last era of world history it will end blessedly gloriously in the coming of our Lord Jesus now whether that is 50 years off 70 years off even a century off which I very much doubt but even if it were to be so, or whether it were to be tonight, or next week, or in two years, or five years, it matters not. We have passed into that last era of world history. And there are all kinds of things that are written about that era, which believers have for generations expected. 
believe that they that such things will characterize those last days. We will see them and experience them. And it comes sometime as a great shock to believers to suddenly realize that all the things they've heard about, sometimes some in Christian homes from childhood, they are actually going to experience and witness. But after all, some of the miracles that have taken place in what I call the prophetic milestones in this past generation have been as amazing, as supernatural in their fulfillment. And yet somehow or other we can pass through and some don't even recognize them. It is just like in the time of our Lord when the Lord said, you know from the skies what kind of weather is coming. You know whether a scorching hot wind is going to blow out of the desert from the south. Or you know whether rain is coming from the west. And yet you cannot tell the time that you're in. Now one of the characteristics of that time, of course, is a shaking of everything that can be shaken. And uh, I was very thrilled this last um, um, week when I was in Wales, in the, what they call the heart of Wales, in unpronounceable places, I might say. There is no language like Welsh. I take it that it was the Lord's doing, but it is a remarkable thing. But anyway, uh, I've got my tongue twisted into knots trying to say some things, but never mind, that's by the way. The thing is that um, uh, I have for years, I read some years ago, and I'm not going to tell you the book because I don't want everyone rushing into the library and trying to get it. It's a bit too precious. But somewhere in that library, there is a book. And I read it, or I was delving into it years ago, finding something else, and I came across a most remarkable passage in it of a meeting in the south of Wales, a big convention meeting led by some quite extraordinary men upon whom the Spirit of God was at that time. And whilst one of them, Stephen Jeffries, was preaching, he suddenly noticed that this vast place filled to capacity. Not a soul was looking at him, but they were all looking above his head. And as some preachers do, he looked down at some face that was a little friendlier than the others and looked at them as much as to say, what is it? And the person just pointed. And Stephen Jeffries stopped preaching, turned round and saw this vision. It was 1911 seen by some three, four thousand people. It remained on the wall, clear, vivid, for about an hour and a half. Long enough for them to get in the congregational minister, the Presbyterian, Welsh Presbyterian minister, and a few others very wisely so that they might see it and note it. And even more wisely, they went out to the local pub and got in a number of totally unsafe people that they might see it. I always wondered why that vision has never been spoken of anywhere else. And therefore, I've never quoted it for fear 
that it was one of these strange things that every now and again you get amongst the Lord's people which are just not true. We all hear these things and when we actually investigate, and especially when we have to write a book now and again, we have to investigate things that we've heard and we find that they're just not true. It, they do not stand up to the investigation, a truthful, genuine investigation. I have for a long time been trying to find out the truth of this and therefore in Wales, in the, where the speakers were gathered, there were a number of dear brethren from different places in Wales and suddenly when we were all talking about things in the, in the blessing of that week, <laughs> someone's enjoying themselves, um, uh, uh, we were talking and I said, I wonder if any of you brethren happen to know about a vision that there was here in the south of Wales, I don't even know where it is, in 1911, and immediately a beloved and dear pastor, full of the Lord, uh, said, yes, he said, oh, if you'd only been here five years ago, he said, there were about a dozen in this convention, they've all gone to the Lord. They were all in their 90s. They saw it. They told us, and then I began to recount what I knew of it. Yes, he said, it was in Frenetli. <laughs> And uh, he began to tell the different things. It was a vision of a lamb. And particularly of the head of the lamb. And as everyone saw the head, the head turned and looked at the whole congregation. And an incredible, everyone remarks upon this, even the unsaved, the most incredible look of sadness came into the eyes. And then tears began to run down. The folks, when they saw that, began to seek God as to what it really meant. And the interpretation of the vision was that colossal suffering was coming upon the world and that a whole way of life was going to be overturned and that the time of the end was near. Now, of course, unexpectedly, within a few years of that, and that's why I've always really wanted to quote it, and particularly in this last book, which is now too, too late to quote it, it's already in the hands of the publishers, I wanted really to say that I have always myself believed that the First World War was the beginning of that shaking. And if that vision was truly of God, then it was a confirmation. Now, I've already said it in the book without the vision, but it would have been a great help for me if I'd got that vision, because I, I think that it was an indication that finally... Uh, the Lord was going to do the shaking. Now, in this shaking, of course, many things are going to happen. Educational, educationally, socially, morally, religiously, spiritually, politically, militarily, everything is going to be shaken. Everything that can be shaken will be shaken and shaken into pieces. Nor will the Lord's people escape from this shaking. That's why you and all of us are experiencing. Wherever I go, I find things being shaken to pieces. Division, faction, people at each other's throat, sixes and sevens, confusion in doctrine. Thank God for what the Spirit of the Lord is doing. But at the same time, whilst the Holy Spirit is doing amazing things all over the globe, at the same time, there is a shaking, and the Lord's people are being just as much shaken as anybody else. Take even the question of divorce. I have never heard so many divorces amongst Christians in my life as I've heard in these last days. It is not confined to any one segment of the Lord's people. 
men, uh, uh, couples that have stayed together for years, just breaking up. It is a shaking. Now, if it's any comfort to you, it is with, with a tremendous end in view. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Now, this means that providing we seek the Lord and do the will of God and know the work of God in our lives, we will find within the fiber of our being that which is invincible and unshakable. But if we just carry on in a routine of Christian activity, having a little prayer meeting here and a little Bible study there and a little preaching service here and our, all our normal kind of thing, our normal life with our normal job at all its settled times, suddenly when recession comes or depression comes and we begin to lose our jobs, we suddenly, the whole fabric of our lives falls to pieces. We find ourselves not knowing where the next uh, a loaf is going to come from, how the children are going to be clothed and fed. And then we may have heard about faith for years and years and years, but because it has not become an original experience, we have found out. If Christian parents have not loved their children and cared for their children and found ways and means of teaching their children, not in those dull, dreadful ways in which the Bible is simply bashed into some poor child or kid's head, but in loving ways. Surely every mother, every father can find some way of getting truth over to a little heart. In living, original ways. Of course, if the truth hasn't come to you, you'll never be able to put it originally. If the truth is second-hand, the only way you can do is get a little book and read it to them. But if the truth has come into you, you can find illustrations that a little child can understand and what a child learns at its mother's knees, it will never forget. And it is a crime when parents leave to Sunday school teachers the instruction of their children. We don't know if days are coming when parents will be torn away from children and children from parents, but there's enough in the world to make us understand that there's a real possibility. Those children are God's responsibility. They are sanctified by the faith of both parents or even only one. But that does not mean that you and I have not got a responsibility in the days that we have of communicating truth and reality to them. Oh, there are so many other things I wish uh, we had a whole series of times in which we could really explore uh, these things. But if it is any comfort to you, you are going through a shaking, things are changing quite rightly, all kinds of things are happening. But in that shaking, don't blame one another and don't blame the leadership and don't please, if you can find it in your heart, blame me. And don't blame others um, if it's possible. Dear people of God, it's not flesh and blood. We're up against movements in the unseen of principalities and powers, world rulers of darkness, marshaled hosts of wicked spirits. 
that are beginning to take over the world. Soon, that which restrains the lawlessness, the mystery of lawlessness, will be taken away. And when that is taken away, suddenly, like an avalanche, the whole thing will happen. And we shall be left wondering, what has happened? Now, these are things we have believed for years. They are not newfangled notions. They are things that I can take not only back to you back in this book, but I can show you books published a hundred years ago, a hundred and fifty years ago, in which these things are explained and defined. But it is always a shock to realize that we are passing into those days. Be ye yourselves like unto men looking for their Lord. Looking for their Lord, that's it. Not looking just for a deliverance. Not just looking for some new experience. Oh, beloved friend, get every experience of the Lord you can. Don't be afraid of any experience, whatever it is. Get every experience of the Lord you can. Every experience of him that will strengthen you and establish you and expand you and found you and ground you. Don't be afraid of experiences of the Lord. But my dear people, it's not looking for experiences. We need to be a people looking for their Lord. It's the Lord we need and the experiences of the Lord we need and the gift of the Lord that we need to exercise and the fullness and power of the Lord that we need to know. That's what we need. Let's be a people looking unto the Lord, not unto men, not to particular teachings, but unto the Lord. Christ-centered. From beginning to end. May God help us in that. Let your loins be girded about. An old-fashioned phrase in a way, but since it's biblical, it's timeless. Let your loins be girded about and your lamps burning. Now, you younger people may not quite uh, fall into this category, but some of you older ones will know that you unloose your loins or whatever holds your loins together when you go to bed. Isn't it so? I mean, you don't tie yourself up in the old days in whalebone corsets and all the rest of it in order to get into bed. You do that when you're getting out of bed to go out into the world. Loins girt. There's a lot in the Bible about loins girt, girded about, something that strengthens the loins, that sort of ties them in. Uh... Uh, the Bible speaks about, in Ephesians 6, about your loins girded with truth. You don't turn the light on when you're getting into bed. If you're normal. <laughs> you turn the light off when you're getting into bed. Let your loins be girded and your lamps burning. In other words, what was the Lord saying to his disciples? He was saying, be ready. Be ready for a journey. Be ready for a journey. Be ready for a journey like an exodus. Have your loins girt 
and your lamps burning, and be you like men looking for their Lord when he shall return. What does it mean? Loins girded. Does it not mean this, dear people? We have just a few years possibly left to us in which the Holy Spirit will be able to make a reality what we have believed for so long. We have no one else to, to blame if when those days come and as the Bible speaks of them, these events overtake us as they will overtake the world. We have no one to blame if we panic at that point and find ourselves unprepared, half asleep. What is sleep? Sleep is a condition of inertia. You are horizontal normally when you're asleep. Now there are people I know who walk around asleep. In fact, there are some people who apparently preach whilst they're asleep. And there are some people who certainly listen uh, asleep. But normally we speak of sleep as a state of inertia in which you are immobile, horizontal. Your lungs still breathe and your heart still beats and your blood still circulates, but you are in a state of inertia. There are thousands of believers who are in a state of inertia, immobilized, horizontal. They are not walking by faith. They are not walking in the spirit. They are not progressing. They are not moving forward or advancing. They are horizontal. And all they want is to be helped in that horizontal condition, apparently. They just want people to spoon feed them, care for them. They almost want a kind of spiritual drip feed. That is not the normal condition of the child of God. That one, so the apostle says to them, Awake thou that sleepest, and arise from the dead. That's not where you belong. You don't belong to the realm of the dead. Rise from the dead, and Christ shall shine upon thee. Loins girded about truth. In us, oh, let no one point any finger at anyone else in this matter. There is not a believer in, I, I think of myself greatest of all, but there is not a believer in whom everything we believe has become flesh and blood. If anyone wants to throw stones, you can. For even the greatest men of God, if you got to know them, you'd find that areas where what they preach or what they believe has not yet become flesh and blood in them. There are some things, may I just say this, for your, uh, that you may never become unbalanced, there are some areas that you have to preach, which will not become, the, for instance, the redemption of the body. I can't experience that yet. That's in the future. It's a marvelous thing to talk about. But it's something in the future. I can talk about it in faith. And a lot of other things we can talk about that are coming in the future uh, that I have to talk about in faith. But there are areas in which God wants to make real in you. Is it not a tragedy when we've sat under good ministry for years and known truths so that we can almost repeat them off pat 
and yet somehow or other there is not an outworking in our own lives. I have known people who have known things for years and are as blind as bats. They're, not, they're even blinder than bats. Bats have a kind of uh, a radar that enables them to move around and not hit anything. But not those. These folks, they bump into every single thing they can. We need loins girded about with truth. Our Lord said so many things in this matter. Do let us take heed of it. What does he mean? What should you do? Some of you may get, start to get a little worried. Well, what are we to do then? Only be honest, that's all. It is the Holy Spirit who makes the word flesh and blood. He alone can translate it into action, but if you're honest, he'll do it. And you'll suddenly find yourself in all kinds of situations at work, at home, in church life, in your personal life, where what you believe has got to become reality. And what for many years you may have thought you knew so well, you discover is not actually working out in your life. Then we only can be honest and seek the Lord, not blaming anybody else, but simply seek the Lord that he may make it a reality in our lives. Loins girt about with truth. Lamps burning. What does that mean? Well, I think it's almost self-evident. Surely it means a real, deep experience of the person and work of the Holy Spirit. How can anyone have their lamps burning without an experience of the Holy Spirit? There is both the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. Now, some people tell me that you can be filled with the Spirit and you don't know it. I say that this is quite nonsense. I really say it's nonsense. It is absolutely true that you and I can become aware of all the needs in our lives. We know, like the Apostle Paul, we can begin up, by, we can begin, rather, by saying, um, I am uh, the least of all saints. But in his last letter, he ends up by saying, I am the chief of all sinners. And the more he knew of the being filled with the Holy Spirit, the more he realized how unworthy and insignificant and hopeless he was as a person. That's true. But when people tell me that from the moment you're saved, you're just filled with the Holy Spirit, and that it's a kind of continuous thing that no one ever knows, it is amazing because some of these lives are so inhibited, so cramped, so straightened, that all the rest of us, if we're honest, can see that there's no fullness of the Holy Spirit there. You mean to tell me that all that 120 on the day of Pentecost didn't know what happened to them? A hundred and twenty of them knocked almost out. And then three thousand saved in the afternoon. And they said, well, it was a continuous experience. We never saw anything. It just never. There, Watchman Nee said, all of, of the Christian life is a, either processes leading to a crisis or a crisis leading to processes. And it's absolutely true. That you may be the kind of person who's just moving along, sort of somehow evolving and advancing, and then all of a sudden you're in a crisis. 
And in that crisis, you've got to find the Lord in a new way. And when he meets you in that crisis, then you move on in the process again. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, there must be some kind of real seeing. Of course, everyone who's born of God is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I have no doubt about that. But the fact is, unless you've seen that he's in indwelling you how can you ever be filled and when your eyes are open to see that he is inside of you it can eclipse, it can actually eclipse your conversion it certainly did with me my word i wandered around for a few weeks saying i'd never been saved i upset the folks in the church i was in by saying i was never saved you know and they used to say but we saw that you were saved and i said no 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 i'm sure i wasn't saved of course now i know i was saved when i was saved I know very well now as I look back that that experience of the Holy Spirit eclipsed everything else in my life. How can you have lamps burning without a knowledge, an inward knowledge, and a progressive knowledge of the person and work of the Holy Spirit? Both the anointing of the Holy Spirit and the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The, the tense here is, be in Ephesians 5.18, be being filled with the Holy Spirit. But you cannot be being filled with the Holy Spirit if you haven't seen that, you, you, that the Holy Spirit is in you. And when that comes to you, he's actually inside, not of him, but me. He's inside him as well. But I mean, he's inside me. <laughs> what a tremendous experience it is. When we suddenly see something like that, lamps burning. I have said to some of you in past years, more than once, that I think when we look at the story of the ten virgins, that we must recognize that so often the way the, uh, the parable is applied has very real weaknesses. We hear it as a gospel message. But all ten were virgins. And in scripture, the virgin is always a picture of the believer unadulterated, all were virgins, all had a relationship to the bridegroom, all of them had lamps, all of them had oil in their lamps, and all of them had their lamp alight. If you read very carefully, you will see, especially if you take an accurate version like the New American Standard Bible, you will see that they went to them and said, give us oil, our lamps are going out. In other words, if you're going to be those with lamps burning, you've got to have reserves. It's not enough to know the Holy Spirit and to, to be, uh, as it were, alive. You've got to have reserves. Now, my dear friend, you're not going to get that overnight. Listen carefully to what I say because you will rue the day if you don't in what lies ahead. There will come days when people will suddenly say, my lamp's going out. I should have done something years ago on this thing. My lamp's going out. I will rush to see so-and-so and ask him, help me. That poor brother will probably be being besieged by a thousand other saints. Help me, help me, help me. How can anyone help someone in a time of great crisis when everything is beginning to break up? If you and I have not sought the Lord ourselves, have not settled the issues in our lives, have not allowed God to do the kind of work he wants to do in our hearts and lives and in our life together, we cannot suddenly buy oil overnight when the crisis is upon us. That is the teaching of that parable. Do 
not put off to tomorrow what God wants to do in your life today. Because tomorrow never comes. Lamps burning. Oh, how wonderful the Holy Spirit is. How sensitive. How gracious. How strong. How firm. The Holy Spirit never bludgeons his way into our life. But once you've said yes, he never lets you go. So, you see, dear ones, we need not only loins girded, but we need lamps burning. And then we need something else. If you look in this uh, chapter 12 and verse 40, we... Please turn your cassette over at this point. Girded, but we need lamps burning. And then we need something else. If you look in this uh, chapter 12 and verse 40, we read this. Be ye also ready, for in an hour that ye think not the Son of Man comes. And then in 47, he says, And that servant who knew his Lord's will, and made not ready, nor did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes, whatever that means. There is something about knowing his will and doing according to his will. Dear child of God, when that crisis develops, or any crisis develops, it's a little too late to suddenly find out what the will of the Lord is in the midst of all the panic and do it. This is why we have to walk by faith. If God has given us an understanding of these days in which we live and of the future, then, my dear friends, we need to know the headship of Christ. It is not good enough for everyone to do that which is right in their own eyes. It is not good enough for, for us to dress up in the name of God our own will. We must know his will and we must do according to his will. And furthermore, what father would not want to speak to his child? God just so wants to make you know what his will is. That you may do according to his will. Dear family, we really do need, I think, to wake up. Even in a company like this, where one could say there's quite a lot happening, at least there's not the, the torpor of death in the sense that nothing of any kind is happening. But it does not mean, sadly, that we might not be asleep. We may be caught up with all kinds of small things and not see the horizon. Now, I have, I don't understand the mentality that believes that the Anglo-Saxon people are going to be preserved from the, everything that's happened to the rest of the world. Wherever I go, I hear these people telling me that the British are going to escape. I don't know what it is about British Christians, 
but it, they feel that they're going to escape what's coming on the face of the earth. And they tell me they're going to be raptured. Now, I want to tell you something. Uh, I personally believe in a rapture. Uh, I don't belong to those who believe we're going to go right through the whole thing. Now, having said that, I wouldn't be surprised if we had to go right through the whole thing. Because in this whole matter, I'm not sure that our Lord has explicitly, dogmatically defined exactly the sequence of events. And therefore, since I believe that our Lord is God the Son, I do not believe that he was unaware of the confusion that would result from the ambiguity of his word. After all, the Lord could have given one supplementary discourse lasting five minutes in which he said, so that no one may misunderstand what I've said, and this is exactly what's going to happen. Those of you who are ready will be taken, and those of you who are not will be left. If he had only given this supplementary discourse, it would have made it much easier for this whole matter of prophecy. And uh, I know just a little bit about it because I've had to write a book. And believe me, you need about five ice packs on your head and I don't know what else to find your way through some the varied interpretations and schools uh, of interpretation on this matter. But don't you think that our Lord must, uh, 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 must have known uh, uh, this uh, perplexity and this confusion? And therefore, I come to the conclusion that it is by deliberate design that he did not give us a dogmatic and defined sequence of events, but rather left it ambiguous so that we have enough to help us to walk by faith and not enough that we might walk by sight. Now what I can say if anyone says, well then, do you mean to say that the whole question of the Lord's coming is so undefined, so ill-defined, so, so sort of uh, ambiguous that really we don't know where we are? Not at all. Our Lord has been absolutely clear. But it is very, very interesting that in the major discourse, which is recorded in Matthew 24 and 25, Mark 13 and Luke 21, the one word that comes through repeatedly, dogmatically, uh, is this word. Take heed. Take heed to yourself. Take heed. Take heed. Watch and pray. And what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Now if you want that, you can look in Mark 13 just as an example, and you will find in verse 5, in verse 9, in verse 23, in verse 33, in verse 35, and verse 37, repeatedly, 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 he says, be on your guard, be on your guard, be on your guard, be alert, be alert, wake up, watch, watch and pray. Now surely if our Lord was at such pains to tell us to be on our guard, to take heed to ourselves, to watch to, and to pray, there must be a possibility of either being asleep and, or, or at least of suffering loss. There must be. Do you mean to tell me that our Lord just, uh, like some of us preachers, used words without meaning? And just sort of said, take it, take it, and take it, but don't worry, don't worry. 
You don't need to worry about it because, I mean, what's going to happen when, when I come, you're all... You know, it'll be all right. Or as you say, to be in a drunken stupor, spiritually, or asleep, spiritually, or living in sin, spiritually, but we'll work off Well, I mean, you'll all be there. You'll have a bit of shame, but I'll wipe away the tears. Why did the Lord say, watch, 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 what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Why did he say, be ye also ready for in an hour that you think not the Son of Man comes? Now here is another interesting thing, and I'm not getting at anybody when I say this. To whom was this discourse given? Who you say was given to the great unsaved multitude? It was not. Oh, well, then he must have been given to the multitude of the disciples. It was not. Oh, well, then, then he must have been given to the twelve apostles. It was not. Well, then who was it given to? It was given to the inner circle of the inner circle. Andrew, Peter, James, and John. As if the Lord was trying to communicate to his people all down through the ages, I took the most devoted, the most responsible of all my servants, and I said to them, Take heed. Take heed to yourselves. Take heed. Watch and pray. Be you also ready for in an hour that you think not. Oh, not me, said Peter. Me, John, who has been lying on your breast, known for his devotion. Be you also ready for in an hour that you think not the Son of Man comes. Dear people of God, if it's a possibility, that the inner circle of the inner circle may not be ready. How much more you and I? Now, someone thinks, well, I don't know. I think that's a bit extreme. Uh, well, I don't think so. Take this Luke 12. I I interesting enough, it's dear Peter, who some often portray as some empty-headed simpleton who's always putting his foot in things. I don't think so at all. I'm eternally thankful to dear Peter. He always asked the questions that everyone else was thinking. <laughs> We've all got people like that who sort of actually come out in the open and say what everyone else is actually thinking. Then they get blamed, you see. God, oh, Peter, always putting his foot in it. He'll always be wise after the event. Dear Peter comes rushing in and says, after the Lord said, Be ye also ready for an hour that you think not the Son of Man comes. This was also to the disciples. And Peter said, Lord, are you speaking this to us? All to all. And our Lord, in his own beautiful way, never said, you. He just said, who then is the faithful and wise steward whom the Lord set over his household to give them their portion of food in due season? Isn't it clear? In other words, the Lord was saying, this is not just to anyone. I am saying it to you, Peter. I'm saying it to those who are most devoted. You can be caught out by the coming of the Lord. Now, if such dear brethren could be caught out by the coming of the Lord, how much more you and I? And if that is the case, should we not heed the words of the Lord? Should we not have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying to us and wake up? Well, now I think our time, as usual, is going. But I would like, finally, in the last two or three minutes, just to say one last word. I believe 
that very shortly, now this may be speculative, but it is in my considered opinion, and I believe I have the mind of the Lord in this, I believe that very shortly the time for building the house of God will be over. In other words, unless you and I have learnt the lessons of how to relate to one another, of how to function together, of how to move through together, of how to overcome together, the only thing we shall be able to do will be to function. You get what I'm saying? I'm saying that unless God does something in our lives, in our life together, in these last few years given to us, there will come a day when we can only function. One of the reasons why I know people find it very difficult, all this going into groups and into houses and everything. My dear friends, there is a, a strategy of the Holy Ghost in the whole thing. I was in China and speaking, I'm not in China, when I was in the United States and speaking to... Uh, to uh, folks uh, on, uh, on a, uh, an allied theme as this, at the end of the meeting, a, a dear brother, very obviously very Chinese Chinese, stood up and he said, could I, after the meeting had finished, may I ask, he said to the brother who was chairing the meeting, can I say something, he said in broken English, yes you may, and he stood up and he said, bowing to the whole congregation, he said, I am from the mainland of China, I am only here for a short visit. He said, I want to tell you, we never thought that what was hap has happened to China would ever happen to us. He said, I myself denied my Lord. And he said, I nearly lost my mind in prison. And thousands of others lost their mind. He said, I have the feeling that you American brothers and sisters, you don't really believe these things will ever happen to you, as if you're going to somehow be caught and delivered, it will never come to you. We thought the same. We, he said in 1949, I was just a Methodist. I didn't really even know the law, but I was an official in the Methodist church. And he said, when actually the whole thing came, we thought, well, China has known so many of these things. It will come for a year and it will pass in a year. But he said, it didn't pass. And he said, then they began all their brainwashing techniques and confession meetings and everything else. And then later, he said, when we thought that it was beginning to yield, he said, the most demonic thing of all, and I'm putting it, of course, in good English, the way he put it, um, he said the most demonic thing of all was the cultural revolution. Eight-year-old children beating to death, growing up. And even the police who were communists wanting to preserve their own communist officials from being done to death, afraid in the face of those children to do anything. Lawlessness. He begged them to get ready. Not because he said he thought it might necessarily the same thing would happen to the states, but he thought we should be ready. He sat down. And then a, a, a young fellow, I'd noticed him in the congregation because he had such a beautiful face stood up and came forward and said, I also want to say something. He was black. And he said, I am an Ethiopian. My family's dead. All, all my brothers and sisters in the church are dead. He said, we belong to the oldest church in Christendom. 
We thought it would never happen to us. We thought we would be preserved. And he said it happened. He said in the only way we could have fellowship was to go out like the Chinese brother had said, in twos and threes, sometimes in an outhouse, sometimes under the kitchen sink. Two of them would just get under a sink and close a kind of cupboard door to pray together. Thank God, Brother Kong said of China, there are five times more believers there than when I left in 1950. That's what God has done. But do you see what I'm trying to say? This Ethiopian brother said, we went out to walk, three of us, and as we walked along, we would pray. And as we, we would minister to each other. That was the only way we could do it, out in the open. And even that they found out and took us in and beat us. Now, do you understand why God, perhaps, in some strategy, is seeking to teach us how, in a kind of small, insignificant, clumsy, sometimes not well-done way, we meet to each in our homes and we see all the failings and all the faults and everything so glaring and we, we can hardly get away from it. But it is a strategy of God. And some will say, but surely couldn't we? Yes, yes, I quite agree. There are many things that probably could be done better. It's always the same. But look here, dear people of God. Here is an opportunity to overcome. You know, perhaps you feel as if everything's already collapsed around your ears, but why don't you just lay down your life? I have never, ever seen anything of God fulfilled by fighting. I have only ever seen anything fulfilled by God, not just passively. Of course, they oh dear, 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 well, the Lord knows. He'll take care. No, 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 no. I've known it by people who are in anguish, people who are in pain at what they see, but who deliberately, as an act of faith, fall into the ground and die. Then God takes over. It's as if God says, right, you're out of the picture. I'll keep this vision alive. I know some are afraid, are we going to lose the vision? Are we going to lose what we first saw? Are we going to do this? Are we going to do that? My dear friends, there's only one way for that vision ever to be fulfilled, by people who fall into the ground and die. That's the only way it ever lasted so long amongst us. And it's the only way it will ever go through into a new phase of the coming of the Lord, is if there are people who know how to die. We can talk to we're blue in the face about the cross and don't know the first thing about dying. But we must die. We must learn how to die. Overcoming. So someone says something about you. My dear friend, there may be coming days when we shall have anarchists and lawless ones in charge of things and they will strip our reputation. We shall have pressure within and pressure without. If you're going to collapse because a few people have said they don't think much of you or they don't think much of your ministry or they think you're dead or they think you're half dead or you think you're asleep or half blind or something else and you collapse in a heap and that's the end of it. Do you see what I'm trying to say? The Holy Spirit is trying to prepare us for things that are coming upon the face of the earth. Now is the time to overcome. And you younger ones, don't think, oh, overcoming. That's all the old, white-haired ones who are going to overcome. I'm sorry to say, quite a few of them won't overcome. But some of you younger ones are only in your teens might be glorious overcomers by the Holy Spirit. It's not a question of age. It's a question of spirit. 
I must remind you that a whole generation died in the wilderness, and they were the old generation. Now, that's no, I'm not getting at anyone here. You know I love you all. But they all died in the wilderness. It was a new generation that went over and possessed the land. But my friends, just one point. The new generation that went over to possess the land didn't have some newfangled idea. They had the same old vision that was given to Moses and Aaron at the beginning. The older ones never lived in the good of it. Those younger ones, they took it up with Joshua and Caleb and they got into the good of that vision and they went over. It wasn't something altogether as if they were shutting a door and everything passed and saying, well, that's all over. They took what God had given to Moses and to Aaron and to Miriam and they took it over in their, into their lives by the Spirit of God and they went over and saw Jericho's walls fall and Ai taken and in the end the whole land inhabited and possessed. Overcoming, it's a time for overcoming. To him that overcometh will I grant to sit down with me in my throne. So if you're young and you feel somehow someone's breathing down your neck, fall into the ground and die and love them. Just love them. Maybe when you're old, you'll breathe down somebody else's neck. As young, just love them. Care for them. Don't get into a great state of us and them. Love them. Care for them. Minister, that's overcoming. It's not doing your own thing amongst yourself. Overcoming is our attitude to the rest of the family. Finding the treasure that is in others. Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Thank God for what he's done here, even in the old house. Thank God for what he did as a symbol of it all. But that's not where our treasure is. Our treasure is in him. There'll not be a bit of that treasure we won't find at the end. For it's worked by the Spirit of God and it is the treasure of the nature and life of the Lord Jesus and every bit of it is found in the city. Not one single part of it is ever lost. It's all there. So whether you're young, whether you're old, whatever you feel, I believe God says to you, and be ye yourselves as men looking for their Lord. May God give us grace in these days as we move on However long we have, may God give us grace to move with him, to be faithful, and to overcome. We pray. And now, Heavenly Father, we pray together that you will translate all this into flesh and blood. And don't let it just be a message or a stirring message even, Lord, but we pray that you will take your word and get it into our hearts in such a way, Lord, that we can never be the same. May it be so, and Lord, will you watch over this company and over this work that you brought to birth and which you have so wonderfully led. Will you bring us through all the shaking and all the queries and all the uncertainty into a time when, as we look back, we see the Lord justifying all the way he has led us. Heavenly Father, we know not how much time we have left to us, but wake us all up. And grant that there may not be one single person in this company, from the eldest to the youngest, asleep. 
We ask it in the name of our Lord Jesus, the Messiah. Amen. May we be as men looking for the Lord. May you know the deep, deep love of Jesus.